You're listening to the City Church Tallahassee podcast. For more information about City Church, please visit us online at citychurchtallahassee.com. Well, good morning, City Church. My name is Jake Axon, and uh, I just got to say, I feel like that was the best need to know that like, I've, I think our church has ever done. For some reason, like that was just like better than all the other ones. I don't know why. I made that joke last service. And apparently, I didn't, people didn't know that that was my wife. So I just want to preface that girl who did the need today was my wife. I'm not just some weird guy. <clears throat> um, because I got a lot of weird questions in the lobby. So I just want to get ahead of that. Um, I'm really excited to be preaching this morning. Um, we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians. And we're going to be going through this Christmas movie series. But I want to preface and I want to start my sermon just so you know where I am. Um, with a little hot take. I want to wake everybody up, get everybody buckled in. Um, in my opinion, Christmas movies are the Thanksgiving food of Christmas. If you're wondering what I mean by that, raise your hand if you like Thanksgiving food. Okay, great. I think that if Thanksgiving food were actually good, you would eat it more than one day a year. <laughs> if Thanksgiving food was good, you would eat it more than just on Thanksgiving. Like, I'm, turkey is the worst meat ever. If you have to eat meat with a sauce or, or stuffing or, like, it's not good. I just said, straight up. And, and so, and here's the reality. Everybody's favorite Thanksgiving food is food you eat year-round. It's mac and cheese and mashed potatoes and rolls. You eat that year-round. Right? Nobody eats cranberry sauce in any other day of the year. So, I don't know how people who make those things even stay in business. I'm going to be honest. But... I think Christmas movies are the Thanksgiving food. They're not good. Christmas movies are not good. They're predictable. They're cheesy. Uh, you've seen one and you've seen all of them. And so before I start, I just want to spoil every Christmas movie ever for you. So if you love Christmas movies, I'm really sorry. But here's how every single one of them ends. They save Christmas. Um, it finally snows and friendship was the real gift the whole time. The end. That's the whole movie. Um, I'm sick of it. I want a Christmas movie with stakes. I want Santa Claus's life to be in danger or something. Um, but anyways, I'm going to be looking at how the Bible in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 is exemplified uh, in the best Christmas movie of all time, currently ranked number 463 on IMDb and nominated for three Oscars but didn't win any, the Polar Express. <clears throat> and the reason I'm excited to talk about it is because it's a movie about faith. One of the reasons why we love movies and we love books and we love stories even some songs, is because they exist in God's world. And what I mean by that is that every story, every book, every movie, whatever, whatever the medium is, every story that is told in some way, shape, or form resembles the story of the gospel. And the reason why we love movies and the reason why we love stories 99% of the time is because the main theme is redemption. Let me put it in simpler terms. The reason why, you want to know why you love it when the good guy wins and the bad guy loses? Why every, like even non-Christians, in your heart, there is a deep desire for good to win and evil to lose. That is because you are made in God's image. And God likes it when good wins and evil loses. The Polar Express is no different. Though it isn't explicitly Christian, it is communicating a truth to us that rings true in the scriptures and throughout all of Christianity. So I'm going to give a little overview of the story. The main character, who's unnamed, which I think is a little weird, uh, maybe that's because we find a little bit of him in all of us, 
But that's beside the point. The main character is doubting. He's doubting the existence and the reality of Santa. He knows all of his friends believe, his sister believes, but he's not sure if he does. So on Christmas Eve, he's laying in bed, wrestling in his mind with doubt, and it's about this time that a magical train pulls up outside of his house. Now before you start arguing, oh, this movie's so unrealistic, oh, this would never happen, your favorite Christmas movie is about a nine-year-old defending his house for an entire week against burglars. If you live in Tallahassee, you know you can't do that as a grown man. So, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, you probably don't live in Tallahassee. You live in Killarne. Um, here's the thing. The whole movie takes place on this train. And the main character the whole time is surrounded by people who believe. By kids who believe. The whole train ride, the kids are filled with joy, hope, excitement, assurance, expectancy. And, and all the main character wants... All he wants is to have what they have. He desperately wants to experience what they are experiencing. But here's the kicker. He thinks what they believe is foolish. He wants what they have, but he thinks what they believe is foolish. In another way of saying it, he sees the joy of believers, wants the joy that they have, but doesn't want to put his faith in the thing that they're putting faith in because he doesn't want to be looked at, taken to be, or thought of as a fool. And as I was writing it, I was like, this is the perfect description of the average person you're going to meet in Tallahassee. You could use this definition of the main character of the Polar Express to identify all of America. Unbelieving, yet desiring the joys, hopes, and peace that believers have, but unwilling to come to faith because they think it's foolish. And as Christians, something that we are going to need to come to understand immediately, if we are going to reach our neighbors with the gospel, and if we're going to be bold in proclaiming Christ, no matter how good our band is, no matter how good the preaching is, it doesn't matter because faith is foolish to the world. Faith is foolish to the world. Like if you haven't noticed yet, what we believe is crazy to the majority of the world. We live in a world that is obsessed with self-image. Nobody wants to be taken to be a fool. Nobody wants to be looked at as crazy. Everybody just kind of wants to think the same. Nobody wants to be the odd man out. Everybody wants to be in the majority. Whatever they're thinking like, that's how I'm going to think like. And I just want to, I just want to, very cl clearly, very simply lay this in front of you and hope that this ministers to your soul. The majority does not determine truth. God determines truth. The majority does not determine truth. God determines truth. And the Christian life, if lived the way that Jesus intends, should not make sense to the world. If you're truly following Jesus... Our lives should be confusing and weird and foolish because we live under the banner of a different kingdom. We live under an entirely different set of beliefs, hopes, joys, and convictions. So even if your neighbor votes like you, roots for Florida State, drives a Tacoma, if they're not a Christian, your life should be one that causes their head to turn. And in 1 Corinthians, we're going to see about faith and about foolishness. Paul's writing to the Corinthian church, who are very young in their faith. 
still learning the basics of holiness, discipline, killing sin, and in the midst of this culture that is fighting for new ideas, ideologies are swirling around in the town of Corinth, here comes the message of Christianity, and it sticks out like a sore thumb. Here comes Paul in verse 18. The word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to those who are being saved. The word of the cross, the message of the cross, the message of the saving work of Jesus is foolishness to the majority of the world. But for us being saved, it's power, it's genius, it's glorious. And this right here is the tension and dilemma that we face as Christians. The very thing that we base all of our hope, all of our joy, all of our assurance it is the bedrock of our life. It is the anchor for our soul. It is the thing we run to when, when we feel pain, we run to the cross. The thing that is the foundation for us, the rest of the world says, foolish. Though we might have a lot in common with our neighbors, we are living in completely polar opposite realities. There is a fork in the road for all of humanity and it splits on where we, what do we come to when we think of the cross? The cross is foolishness to the world, but for us it's everything. I want you to understand there's no middle ground on the cross. It is either foolishness or it is everything. So my first point is this, because of that, do not be shocked when the world thinks what we believe is foolish and when life is uncomfortable because of it. It really isn't that hard to see why a person, the way Romans 8 would describe, has a darkened mind set on the flesh, why that person would think Christianity's foolish. Saying the word of the cross or the message of the cross is salvation would be the same thing as saying the message of the firing squad is salvation. The message of the noose is salvation. The cross, in our culture, it's on jewelry, it's on tattoos if you're from Bainbridge. It's, it's all over the place, right? It's a, it's a symbol for Christians. But back then, the cross is a death sentence. Not only a death sentence, but an exposing, humiliating, embarrassing, cruel way to die. So absolutely to the world whose eyes are blinded to spiritual reality, the cross is foolish. Here's the thing, Paul doesn't shy away from that. Paul doesn't go, oh, the cross is foolish, people think we're crazy. Like, he doesn't let that stop him from being all in, and that's the mistake that many of us make in our culture. And oftentimes, out of a good intention, in an effort to reach people, to minister to people with the gospel, I see it all the time in youth ministries, like everywhere, people will soften the truth to make Christianity more palatable, more acceptable, more normal, easier for the world to swallow. And it's like in our mind, it's like we're gonna take the bullet for God. Like we get in the way of the hard parts of his truth and in doing it, oftentimes we sacrifice biblical, glorious Christianity. We want more people to believe, that's a good thing. But in, try, in trying to get that, if at any point we're trying to make the cross less brutal, less perplexing, less challenging, if we're trying to make Christianity more acceptable or easier to swallow and we find ourselves succeeding at that, 
we've probably abandoned Christianity somewhere along the line. So I want to be crystal clear with you this morning. The message of Christianity is the message of the cross. You take Jesus off the cross, take the brutal nature of God's son dying in the place of undeserving sinners, you just want a happy, feel-good, acceptable, uplifting message all the time, you can go somewhere else because that's not Christianity. Christianity is Christ crucified. The perfect son dying in the imperfect's place. City Church, there is no other message. If all we could, if we could preach one sermon for the rest of our lives, I only get to preach one sermon, it would be Christ crucified. The cross is the point of the scriptures. The entire Old Testament is looking forward to and longing for this savior to come into the world and die for sins. And all of the New Testament is reflecting back on the cross. It is the center point of of the whole Bible. And Paul begins in verse 19 diving into the wisdom of God through this. Verse 19, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. I will set aside the intelligence of the intelligent. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the debater of the age? Here it is, look at this. Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? He's saying, find the wise people today. Find the teachers, find the debaters, find the leaders. Look at their wisdom and intelligence. There are few verses in the Bible that stand out as prophetically in 2022 as this one. Look around right now, the government. Look at the leaders in government, the leaders in higher education. Look at the thought leaders in culture. Look at the leaders in entertainment in our world. Look at the wisest, most intelligent people in our world based on today's standards. What else can we say about their wisdom and intelligence but that it's foolishness? Men can be women. Women can be men, or you can be neither. Kids that still believe in Santa are somehow trustworthy enough to choose their own gender. People are mutilating their bodies in the name of sexual freedom. Truth is no longer something outside of the individual that we all need to align ourselves with. Now it's something in here, and you can't tell me that my truth is wrong, and I can't tell you that your truth is wrong. In pursuit of our own wisdom and intelligence, our world has become foolish. And it's laughably ironic to me that we're the ones viewed as fools while the rest of the world kills itself in pursuit of its desires. But as always, we shouldn't be surprised because the Bible said this would happen. It's crazy how that works. Romans 1 says this, For though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. Therefore, God delivered them over in the desires of their hearts to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they worshiped and served what's been created instead of the creator, who's praised forever. Man, doesn't that sound like the world today? 
City Church, the more this world spirals into sin, darkness, destruction, sexual promiscuity, and wickedness, the more I no longer care about looking like a fool to the world for believing every single word that came from the lips of Jesus. And if I'm a fool for believing the cross and and the world is the one who's wise, then I'm going to be the biggest fool there is. When is light the brightest? When it's dark, light is the brightest when it's pitch black outside. And right now, our world, if you haven't noticed, is pitch black outside. And the light of the scriptures is blinding to our world. We need more fools who are unashamed of that light. And in verse 21, Paul explains the behind the scenes now of God chooses the fools to be, to, of the world to be the ones who are wise and the wise to be fools. He says this. For since in God's wisdom, the world did not know God through wisdom, God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of what is preached. For the Jews ask for signs and the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. In these three verses, Paul is scanning the field. He's saying, what does the world want from their God? What does the world want? The Jews want signs. They want to see something miraculous done. They want to see beauty and glory displayed in a way that they're captivated and cannot help but follow. And the Greeks, they want wisdom. They want reason. They want a suitable, persuasive argument. And so here's Paul proclaiming this message of salvation. You want signs of God's miraculous, mind-blowing power? You want wisdom that will knock you off your feet? Here it is. Jesus Christ crucified. And they stumble because to the Jews, a crucified Messiah does not scream powerful. And to the Gentiles, a crucified Messiah does not shout reasonable. But to the Christian, whether they're a Jew or a Greek, to the Christian, the cross of Christ is miraculously powerful and incredibly wise. The God-man came to stand in the place of the sinner to rescue us from a sure wrath. And all of this has been done from eternity past. In the foolishness of the cross, we see the genius, the glory, the grace, and the goodness of God. And in verse 25, Paul now begins to reverse course and he's magnifying the difference between mankind and God. You want a key? Here's a real quick tip. This is for free. You want a key to loving God more and loving yourself less? Every chance you get, remind yourself the difference between you and God. Remind yourself who God is and every single time, stand in his shadow and you will feel small and your prayers will become big. He says in verse 25, God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Paul could have just stated the obvious, that God's strength is stronger than man's strength. Or he could have said God's wisdom is wiser than man's wisdom. But he's not here to make a statement. Paul is here to erase all doubt in the conversation. God's strength isn't stronger than man's. God's weakness, which doesn't even exist, is stronger than man's strength. God's foolishness, which isn't even a thing, is wiser than man's wisdom. Take every wise person in the world, throw them in a room, tell them to come out with one idea. God's most foolish idea is greater a thousandfold than that. 
It's not on the same playing field, not even worth being compared. You wouldn't let a blind person give you directions. Why would you let a spiritually blind person's thoughts direct how you think about the gospel? And then he continues in verse 26. Brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many were wise from a human perspective or powerful of noble birth. Paul is literally saying, Corinthians, look around the room at the brothers and sisters in Christ sitting around you. Look at the other people in this room who've been called to Christ. They're not kings or philosophers or princes or of noble birth. Everyone in here is pretty average. And if that's insulting to you, listen, I graduated in high school in a class of 480 people. I finished 240th the dead center. I am the most average person you will ever meet in your life, okay? Like what he's saying here, he's trying to show them that the God of the universe, more valuable than any of the riches on earth, has come to earth for the very average, mundane, normal people. Because in this culture, it was like the kings and the princes and, and the philosophers, they sit in the front, they're God's favorite. He's here to say no, God has called you, the normal, average people, to come be his children. And this is the genius of God right here in verse 27. God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. He's chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. He's chosen what is insignificant and despised. What is viewed as nothing to bring to nothing what is viewed as something so that no one may boast in his presence. And it's from him that you're in Christ, who became wisdom from God for us. He became wisdom for us. Not only did he become wisdom for us, he became our righteousness. He's the one who stands in our place. He gives us his righteousness. We give him our sins. He then becomes our sanctification, who works in us to make us more holy. And finally, he becomes our redemption. He holds our second chance so that we will not lose it. And all of that stands so that verse 31 is true. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. All of this is written so that no one will become puffed up or begin to think that they're wiser or better or or more intellectual than anyone else because they're a Christian. Paul is trying to remind us, hey, look, Jesus was not wisdom to any of us at first. All of us thought the cross was foolishness, but by God's kindness towards us, Christ became wisdom to us. Human wisdom cannot achieve salvation. It cannot reach understanding of God by itself. If you're a Christian in this room, you are only one because God has revealed to you that the cross is not foolishness, but that it is power. It is the wrath-removing sacrifice for sinners. And one of the things I love about this is just the way that God exposes the frailty of human wisdom. I'm going to try to summarize it here. In God's genius, in desiring to bring the most glory to himself possible, he shames the self-proclaimed wise and intelligent by bringing salvation to the ones who are viewed as foolish for believing in God's plan of salvation. So he says to the wise, you want to be self-proclaimed wise? Have it. And that's all you'll have. To those who are foolish and faithful, come with me. So that no one can boast in anything but the Lord. 
Now the question is, will we? Will we boast in the Lord? Because here's the hard thing we must all come to understand. You will be regarded as a fool in this world from the moment of your new birth to the day that you die. You will be mocked, laughed at, not taken seriously, not valued, not seen as intelligent, persecuted. Your reputation will be tarnished, and it's only going to get worse. I tell the high school students all the time, you want to be holy in 2022? Like, all you have to do is close your eyes, open your Bible, point to a verse, and say, I believe that. Whatever that verse is. And you're already set apart from the world. Everyone thinks you're crazy. When I was in high school, I grew up in North Georgia. It was really easy for me to be a Christian, but it was hard to be holy. What I mean by that is it was easy for me to be a Christian. No one hated me for what I believed, right? But it was hard to set myself apart as a Christian from the rest of the culture of Christians because we all kind of believed the same generic things about morality. But I tell them today, high school and middle school students, and, and you, all of you in the room, today, it is hard to be a Christian, but it is easy to be holy. You want to set yourself apart today? Believe one thing from the Bible, and the world hates you. That's the reality of the world we're in right now. And so the question that every single one of us must answer at one point in our lives, it's the same question the unnamed main character in the Polar Express has to answer, and it's the question you need to answer right now. Is it worth it to be considered a fool for the thing that matters most? In your mind, is it worth it for you to throw away all credibility, all seriousness, all of your image, forsake what the world thinks of you and what you believe, become a fool for the thing that matters the most. Because boasting in the Lord will mean you are perceived as weak and foolish to the world. So is it worth it to be perceived this way? Ask yourself, is it worth it to be perceived like this by everyone that you know for the purpose of God's truth shining into this dark world through the gospel? Because my fear is that we know what the world thinks. We know that they think we're foolish. And so out of an abundance of the fear of man and love of self, our knee-jerk reaction is an apathetic, less passionate, less missional, less intentional life as we treat Jesus like some crazy cousin that we don't want to be associated with. Because we don't want to be taken to be a fool and we don't want to be perceived as weak. And as we think like that, City Church, I hope the words of Jesus from Matthew 10, 23 echo in our heads. Whoever denies me before others, I will also deny him before my Father. We live in a world terrified of what people are going to think of us. It's running rampant in younger people. What should we do? How do we be wise in this world now? The wisest thing you can do is become a fool for Christ. Because one day, you could, you could live your whole life and not be taken to be a fool, not be taken to be weak before the entire world. Everyone could believe, yeah, you're not a fool, you're not weak. One day, you're not going to be standing before an audience of the world. You're going to be standing before an audience of one. 
Better to be a fool your entire life before the whole world and be judged by them than to be a fool before God on the last day. The wisest thing you can do is become a fool in this world for Christ. Go all in. Pursue, prioritize, praise him more than anything else. Because a calling to follow Jesus is a calling to be foolish to the world. To live a misunderstood life full of more joy, more satisfaction, more hope than anything the world can give you. And I want you to understand, that's the reason why the church is here. You're regarded as a fool by everyone you meet every single day of the week. You come here on Sundays and you're in a company of fools. I don't have to, I don't have to feel outcast anymore. I don't have to feel weird here anymore. Like these are my people. I'm not crazy. We believe this. The church exists for you to find refuge in your brothers and sisters in Christ, in your shared beliefs on the gospel. When we meet on Sundays, it should be an absolute uplifting for your soul. Because for the first time all week, you're with people who think like you, love like you, believe like you, and they know that you believe it and you believe it too, and you guys are in one accord. The church is the, ref- is the refuge from the world. A company of fools for us so that at the end of a long week of being on mission everywhere we are, we come back to our family. So if you're in here right now and you're in this room and you were hoping for a witty, persuasive argument for Jesus' existence or if you came in here for signs or for wisdom, all I have is this. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was born, lived a perfect life, died a death in our place, and rose for our salvation. In the Polar Express, we see the boy at the end of the movie. I'm going to spoil it for you, but it came out in 2004, so you're way behind. We see the boy ends up seeing and experiencing firsthand the reality of Santa Claus's existence. And what does he do from there? He leaves with a newfound belief in Santa. Despite all odds, we see what happens at the end. His sister doesn't believe anymore. His parents don't believe anymore. But that no longer matters to him. He would stand alone, be regarded as a fool for what he believes because his belief is based on the fact that he's tasted and seen that Santa Claus is real. Those of you who are saved in this room, you have tasted and seen that Jesus Christ is the Lord, that the cross is not foolishness, despite what the world says, but rather it is not only power, it is salvation from eternal destruction. And it is good news for us. So don't fear the world for thinking you foolish. Instead, boast in the Lord for bringing you to the knowledge of this salvation by his grace. And I wanna leave you with this challenge. If believing all that the Bible says about Jesus makes you a fool, you should make it your aim to be the most passionate, all-in, on-fire fool that has ever existed. And in doing that, you'd be shocked at how many you might bring along with you to become fools themselves. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you've given us your word, which communicates your truth to us. And that we don't have to rely on the masses. We don't have to rely on culture to tell us what truth is. You've already done that. We thank you that when we needed it most, at the right time you died, while we were still sinners, 
God, I ask that the reality of the cross would just be ever before us. And as the rest of the world screams foolish, outlandish, we just dig our roots deeper. We crawl even closer to the cross as we gaze upon what had to happen for us to be saved. The the measure of love that you had, the the desire that you had for your own glory to die in the place of, of sinners. You're the one who hated sin more than anyone and you were counted guilty of all of it for us. That is not foolish. I don't care what the world thinks, Lord. I pray that we would, we would be filled with such a, a gripping love for the gospel and for the cross and for the Bible that nothing else would matter in this world. All we would want is to bring glory to you, more glory to you, make your name famous, not my own. If it comes at the expense of me being a fool, then it's worth it. I thank you that you communicate your truth, not just through your word, but through movies and songs and and, and books. Lord, your truth permeates this world because this world is yours. And I pray we'd have a keener eye to that. We would die to ourselves daily, we would kill sin, and we would live on mission, and we would love the church. We thank you for the gospel. None of this would be true if Jesus had not died and rose. So we thank you that you invite us to be a part of this. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.